Hey guys, and welcome to the Family Business Indaba podcast. We are the voice of African family business, promoting generational wealth and generational legacies. And my name is Susan Tendi. And I am Nika Amani. And we're going to be taking you through the journey of African family business. Hi everyone and welcome to the second session of African Family Business Conference and we have with us Christopher Rose. Uh, hopefully one of our other panelists will join us but either way we're just going to carry on having our conversation with Christopher. So welcome Christopher and I'm just going to ask you to introduce yourself to our audience. Thank you both for having me. Hello everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Rose. Uh, Chris is easier and shorter than Christopher. Um, I'm a partner at Denton's. We're the world's largest law firm. We're head of our family office and high net worth practice in Europe. Uh, prior to that, I led our venture capital practice for three and a half years in Europe. So I think I bring both sides to this panel. Uh, I've been a, a venture capital lawyer for most of my career. Uh, but in recent years, I've seen uh, a dramatic uptick in families and family offices investing into venture, uh, which piqued my curiosity. And here I am with you all. Right. I think Nikia dropped off there, but <laughs> that's all the same. So. Just to get our conversation started while we're waiting for everyone else, um, I think my first question to you would be, how can family offices understand the importance of purpose and impact to millennial leaders? That's a good question. Let's take a step back a little more mm-hmm. about, I mean, this panel is about engaging next generation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if I had a nickel for every, you know, family, you know, business leader I, I've met who told me their, their, their son or daughter is not interested in the family business. Be- or in that matter, um, every, you know, every next generation who told me they maybe were not inspired to follow in the family business, um, I'd be on the Forbes list by now. There's just quite a bit of that. And I think, you know, family offices are a way to address that. But getting to your point about values, I think first, you know, in order to do this, you need to establish a, a you know, a, a role within these organizations and so that they can be nurtured and that they can develop the expertise and knowledge they require. But to your point, you know, sometimes the harder issue is um, understanding the values that the next generation uh, brings to the table. Um, I think sometimes I think film really sets out, you know, the values of a generation. In the 80s, one of the biggest movies was Wall Street. And people often quoted Gordon Gecko: greed is good, greed works. Well, flat Fast forward, you know, to the present date, I think it's more about a quote of Spider-Man that with great power comes great responsibility that shows you a real difference in the generations. And in far as, 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 as uh, impact and, and purpose goes, I mean, I think older generations would be uh, well-versed in you know, understanding what's motivating and driving uh, the millennial generation, the Generation Z in terms of impact. Um, you have a great survey that comes out each year from Deloitte that focuses on, on, on millennials and millennials are, are, they, they want leaders that aggressively focus on, on impact on, on the world to make a tangible difference. They want to be with organizations that align their values, um, that are aligned with their own values. Um, and that is very much around a sense of purpose and defining what that purpose is. And so the challenges for families are to understand and embrace and then align around those values um, if they want to bring out the best. Thank you, Chris. Welcome, Lexi. Um, perhaps yeah. you can introduce yourself um, to the audience before we, we start asking the questions. Yeah, sorry for being late. I uh, had a little bit of technical difficulties, but I'm here now and really happy to join you. 
Um, so I uh, live in Nigeria. I'm American, but moved out to Nigeria almost nine years ago. Um, originally worked in private equity, but left that to run a family office group that was uh, backed by a very successful entrepreneur in Africa. My pet project underneath that group was actually building out uh, what was one of the first venture capital firms within Nigeria. Um, and you know, worked with that family still managing their family office, but really did some very early, very successful investments in the venture ecosystem. Um, it was something that the family felt that they could leverage off of their own expertise in the Love technology. Same here. If we give it a minute, sometimes it's just temporary and she'll come back on. Yes. Um, I think in the, in the meantime, we can just carry on the conversation we're having sure. with you, Chris. So we were talking about um, how with millenniums, we're, we're in a situation where we are being defined by the issues we're facing now and the conversations that the next gen now have is completely different from what um, the founders had or the next gen previously had, because obviously there's always next gens waiting um, to, to take over from current gens. And so when you're looking at family office, how do you think that family offices can help next gens find their identities in the family offices as opposed to just family businesses? Sure. I mean, I, you know, it goes to what we were saying before is, first of all, determining what the purpose of that family of that family office is what's the underlying values that will drive it. And that will help dictate, you know, the, the investment decisions and strategies. Um, I think that, um, you know, they're in getting aligned in that. I think what I often see is, especially a lot of current generation, when, when the next generation talks about impact, I see a lot of eyes roll. And I think there's a, there's a sense for many that they're being, they're naive in their approach. But there is certainly a way to align um, these investment strategies around making money and, you know, creating good in the world and, and making an impact in the world. And in fact, the latest Camden Wealth uh, survey, you know, said that I think over 50% of families are investing in impact. So clearly, if you're not doing it now, you're on the, on the wrong side of it. Um, so th those trends are continuing. And, and for most businesses, the, you know, the consumers are, will be this generation. So um, I think that even your own businesses, there are many established businesses are becoming obsolete while billion dollar businesses are, are rising uh, through, you know, most recently and uh, even during COVID. Um, and so using your next generation to embrace that can help facilitate that change. So Lexi, you're back. We lost you for a bit. Um, you were explaining that you, you're based in Nigeria and you started off from the PE side and moved to a family and then we lost you for a bit. Yeah, so um, moved over to a family office group to manage their um, investments globally in portfolio construction. But my pet project was setting up what was one of uh, Nigeria's first local venture capital funds. Um, so built that out underneath the family office group and uh, later actually ended up buying up that group and moving it over to my own platform. But the interesting piece there, setting up that venture capital firm within a family that had expertise in telecom media and technology to really leverage off of their own learnings in the industry and use those learnings to not only pick the best deals, but also the relationships and, and value to help those investee companies grow. Cool. So can you share, um, you know, just from your perspective, how how ventures, investments can be used to engage the next generation in a family enterprise? 
not having a lot of luck today. He's coming yes. back. I see her. She's coming back, I think. Yes, it seems the tech issues continue today. But nevertheless... I can sing a song if you like. We got <laughs> to keep the, keep the show going. Absolutely. We have to keep the show going. Um, Nike, would you probably like to ask Chris the, the next question while we wait for Lexi? I think you might be on mute. Excuse me. Sorry about that. I'm on mute. And just, you know, carrying on with the conversation. So you, you mentioned that the Deloitte reports, the millennial reports showing changing values of the rising generation. And how can family offices understand the importance of purpose and impact to millennial leaders? Sure. Uh, actually, but Lexi's back. Let's get her while she's here. Yeah, it might be short-lived. It seems my network is really terrible. <laughs> think positively, Lexi. Nice to meet you, by the way. Nice to meet you. So, yeah, I think what you're seeing a lot of second gens is that, um, you know, there's lots of pressure from their family to, to join the family businesses, run um, this the businesses within the same industries and you know really there's maybe a little bit of resentment and disengagement by those second gen members so i think venture um being that it is a exciting new field with some great returns potential um and um, certainly a, a sector that i think the younger generation can relate to is a great way to start engaging those second gen members um get them more excited about investing Excellent. And their family, but you, also leveraging off of the knowledge and, and the infrastructure. <gasps> You're going in and out, Lexi. Perhaps let's try disabling video. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and let's see here. Um, <laughs> I'll try my response one more time, but if I drop, I, I feel like I'm just disrupting the flow of everything. So, so maybe I'll just leave you guys to it. Uh, second gen oftentimes feels a little bit detached from the family business and maybe even resentful. Um, there's, there's a lot of pressure for them to join the family businesses. Uh, and, and Yeah, I think we, we've, we've lost her. Yeah, and it's definitely going to frustrate her. Then let's just carry on our conversation. We've still got quite a long way to go. So, um, Chris, over to you. Uh, where do you want me to pick up? Um, do we, we want to stay in the family office or should we try to jump in the venture thing and just try to make this a conversation? Um, I th- where I, I know where Lexi was going on the, on, let's, let's try it again. So, um, yeah, I think I should just stay off if I, if I drop again, I think I'm just disrupting the conversation. Let's hope, let's hope for the best here. Okay. I, uh, I was just, I was very broadly just saying that a lot of times the second gen, uh, tends to feel a little bit detached from the, the family business and there might be a lot of pressure from the family business for them to get involved, but. It doesn't necessarily align with their own interests or, or maybe even their expertise. So getting the next gen involved in venture investing can be a great way to diversify a family's portfolio um, and generate those returns, but also allow the next gen to become engaged and also hopefully leverage off of the expertise that that family has built on the relationship side, but also on the returns of the overall family's portfolio. Right. And um, I think, Chris, you were just explaining to us about um, the importance um, of the the founder gens and the family office to um, in understanding what it is that actually interests the next gens and um, trying to invest time and energy into nurturing 
the the family and the family office brand and what this brand should represent indeed no i mean it's understanding what motivates and you know it's it's a two-way uh learning process it's not just the, the the older generation teaching the younger generation i think it's very much i'm seeing it go both ways here um now, and again, I mean, it, it, I'm not suggesting just handing over the keys of the car to the younger generation and letting what there, there is a, a foundation that needs to be built. There's experience that needs to be acquired and knowledge that needs to be acquired. Um, but certainly um, bringing that in-house and, and allowing them to, um, to pursue uh, those interests that, and, and align with their, their own values uh, certainly is a way of keeping the family business together and the family in the business. Um, I read a quote. Um, there's a great Forbes article uh, I was I read when I was preparing for this uh, session uh, by a um, family office advisor named Francois Bota, if I recall. Um, and mm -hmm. there was a quote in there that I, that resonated with me. He said, "Family businesses are becoming business families." Uh, as you see, for example, many uh, families sell their businesses, um, and the liquidity that comes for, from it is is a great opportunity uh, to bring in that next generation and 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 give them a purpose. Um, allow that that you know that allows them to implement the change they desire to uh, for diversification uh, for innovation and to create their own legacy. And I think that's what tends to be missing. I think maybe when you get to the third generation, a lot of family businesses, and that's why a lot don't go beyond the third generation, is because that that passion, that motivation is not there to build your own thing. Um, and to the point of personal brands, I mean, especially to a millennial Gen Z generation. I mean, the personal brand is very important. We see a very much an influencer society and that permeates, you know, into business and everywhere else. And I think creating a brand that, that resonates that is around some ideals is very important to the next generation. Um, just as we don't necessarily associate Rockefeller with oil or Gates with computing, I think that, you know, where, where they want to and they should leave an impact that goes beyond what, what their family businesses were and what, what it really means in society. And just speaking to um, uh, speaking about this branding piece, for a lot of family businesses, they like to stay behind the scenes and can be quite shy um, and are quite under the radar. So can you just elaborate further on what this is branding entail? Um, what, you know, um, how can families get comfortable with this idea of putting themselves out there? Um, and what are the benefits to the individuals in the family as well as the family business or family enterprise? Sure. I mean, when I say brand, I mean, first of all, it's it's taking a step back and understanding what is your underlying philosophy, what are you trying to do in this world that goes beyond making money? Okay. That's when we're talking about personal brand. Um, you know, this, you know, the millennial generation in particular, and this, a lot of this is not my observations. A lot of this comes from Deloitte's annual survey on, on millennials. So I'm, I'm pulling back from some data. Um, but it's, it's well documented that millennials and Gen Zs want, to, you know, to do business with people who share their values. Okay. And they want to build a reputation around what they're achieving. Um, and in, in defining what, you know, what the impact of the family business will be, will be on the environment, is societal change. Is it related to gender equality? What is it about us and what we're doing that's making an impact on the world? What's our brand? Where do we position ourselves in this whole ecosystem? And how do we find like-minded other families and other investors that share those values? I mean, you're applying you know, the same you know, techniques you're seeing in large corporations about authenticity in the brand. What is the ethos? What is the purpose? 
And so I think families um, in, have been slower to come to the table on that. I think um, especially more conservative families. But if, if, if you take a step back and thinking what I'm saying about a brand aligning with, with, with what my family values are, I think that actually can resonate even with older generation as well as with, with millennial generation. And when looking at this um, and also just the, the traditional outlook of what family office has been and the drivers thereof, do you think there is um, that alignment with next gens or it's a process that needs to happen? I, I think it's a process that needs to happen for most for most family. I mean, for, first of all, the question is, is there an established family office or not? Um, mm-hmm. There is. Then wh- what is what is you know the strategy and ethos of that family office? But more often than not, uh, there will be a generational shift there that needs to be taken into account. I mean, some are, certainly some families and family offices are ahead of that curve. Uh, but I, I see more often than not a disconnect. Again, going back to what I earlier said, is there tends to be in, in, in some families and in, in, in some generations, you know, they, they feel that you know the the impact side is night. Um, we're about making money, and so it's going beyond that. Um, but I mean, we can go off, and I mean, I'm not sure if Lexi's coming back, but we could sort of branch us out into the venture route because, uh, as Lexi was starting to say, venture really resonates with next gen, um, and it's something that. Uh, the current gen often doesn't really get or understand. I mean, technology, you know, um, millennial and Gen Z's grew up with technology and it's very, feels more natural. Um, and it's a way to, you know, not be part of mom and dad's manufacturing business, but to do something that maybe leverages the sector expertise, uh, that leverages the connection to the family, um, and then is consistent with their need for, you know, for desires for a purpose and impact. Um, I think that, you know, there are different strategies to implement in getting into venture. And really the question is, you know, how sophisticated of a strategy we're talking about. There are different entry points. You could come into this through investing in funds or fund of funds or through direct investing, whether angel or, or venture. And are we talking about a more sophisticated family office with internal investment capabilities and a, and a CIO and, and, and a team of advisors? Are we talking about uh, the next gen who are going to be taking a pool of, of capital? And investing directly based on you know on 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 their views, I think it's worth spending some time on that latter point. Um, no better way to kill the family dream is to let an you know uh, and just encourage your inexperienced son and daughter to go off and invest whatever they want. It never seems to work out uh, because there's no foundation for it. Everything has to be learned. Everything does. Um, and if you're not if you've not invested before, like anything else you do in life, either you should be co-investing. With others, if I'm getting access to the best is you can get access to deal flow through sophisticated uh, investors, but um, it, but if, if not, and, and again, the, usually the entry point I see is angel investing, um, is to um, join a syndicate, join an angel group, learn by doing. I used to be on the board of a European angel platform, and their whole ethos, their whole positioning was learning by doing. You come in, first of all, you're told. Don't look for your home run deal in the first one out. You're going to be investing in 20 deals. You need a diversified portfolio, number one. Number two, you're going to play a part in every part of the deal process before we're going to certify you as a deal leader. You're going to be involved in the screening alongside others. You're going to be involved in the due diligence. You'll be involved in the execution, the monitoring until you've done, and, and, and by investing small amounts of multiple deals, you'll learn the, the skills that are required. And during that time, you can develop your network, your personal network, so you can have access to these opportunities. You can really think about what you bring to the table in terms of sector expertise, for example. All these things can help you avoid the mistakes that one client made when he invested $3 million of his family's money on the first deal, knowing very little about it, 
not understanding the valuations that are associated with it and making you know rookie mistakes and and i think that's where um you know where the current generation uh, of family leaders can encourage and create that framework and create those boundaries around this because you treat it as a business otherwise um it's either luck of the draw or it's going to you know potentially end, end, end badly yeah just to unpack that a little bit more so can you elaborate further how a family can support the next generation with this learning process to ensure that they're successful and we have an institutionalized decision making in um invest, investing whether it's angel investing ventures and what have you um well i think again there are advisors that can help formulate an entire approach depending on how you want to allocate amongst the various parts of this asset class so if you want a more comprehensive approach i mean i think roughly 50-50 right now families are investing 50-50 in funds and direct investment they you know the returns vary um they um sourcing deals can often be the hardest and getting access to experienced and and top tier fund managers if you want to go the the fund side is challenging i think that families can use their personal networks to help you know cr- you know expand the network for their, their 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 the next generation their sons and daughters their organizations like uh, YPO and others where people can you know try to meet like-minded people and, and expand their networks in that respect um then there's um again joining syndicates joining um you know following other angels and co-investing along other angels and learning that process um and education there's now it's compared 10 years ago there's a lot of great educational resources including even in in some business schools that will teach you the nuts and bolts of 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 investing and i think getting that solid preparation i see a lot of families traditionally have encouraged uh their children to go off in the world and work at at, at different companies or, or and 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 then come back to the businesses now i'm seeing more people go into venture and to you know to work in in in, in venture capital uh businesses or other or other in, investment platforms before bringing that expertise back to their family back to their country back to you know what you know to and, and to you know follow it in that in a different way and as we're looking at this do you think that if we encourage next gens to go into family office or into ventures what then happens to their family business what options do the founders actually have in terms of continuity of the original family business or even the family enterprises because i think we've seen big family enterprises like um the lvh and m that has they're in a certain sector and they that is where they thrive what happens when the next gens say well I I actually don't like this sector. I want to go and and follow something else and they don't want to go into the family business. What 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 is the conversation then and how do you lead it or navigate it as a family? Well, I I think that the good thing about family offices um as compare they're they're separate from the family business. You'll see in a couple of situations it'll be a family office alongside the family business or you'll see a liquidity event that would create the family office. Either way, I don't think because it's not the family business, it's not that the, the strict governance that goes with that family business. There's a lot of latitude for um for a new identity to be, to be created. And the best way to to create that identity is to be successful. You know, if 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 you know if if, if you're doing well, I I think that people tend to encourage you. Uh if you're not, then you get pulled back, but I I don't see that naturally necessarily as as an issue to go in different sectors or go a different way but I do think it's again starts at the very beginning of defining what is this venture what I mean what is this family office what are we trying to accomplish both materially in terms of uh preservation of intergenerational wealth but also what what's the purpose 
It, I mean, it, you start at the very beginning. If if the, the family council or the family members can to agree to define on a purpose and they understand what that purpose is, then it will dictate everything that comes from it. And the, the other question is, is how much engagement different members of the family have in that family office? I mean, how is this going to be run? Um, you know, listen, I'm a lawyer, so I always focus on governance in terms of where I see families and family businesses break down is because there's just, it's, it's not enough governance and, and professionalization as if it was a company and keeping that, you know, the, you know, try to keep the family part separate in many ways, a, a more sophisticated family business. And I think with a family office, you may have a chance to do what you might not have done on the family business to start over using best practices and learning from others that are out there to create something different, special that will outlive your family business. How many businesses a hundred years ago are still rent today? I mean, sectors have run away. So this is a you know an opportunity to go beyond that, and we didn't even get into philanthropy. We didn't get into we, you know anything like that. I mean, there's just so many different areas that a, a the next generation could pursue that they are motivated and passionate about. But isn't that what we're trying to find here? That you know, I mean, listen, this is all. You know, of course, you know, preserving wealth is important, but the reason that third generation typical family businesses fail is the passion's gone. That hunger is gone often. So what makes people hungry? What makes people motivated? Um, I think that finding that out, you'll find what, what they'll often be successful at. Excellent contributions. And just thinking in the African context, what we tend to see is not the, the com- very few family offices onshore. Um, the family offices that do exist typically are offshore. So many people within our networks um, might not have family offices and I know I've been approached by many next-gens that are keen to develop one, but don't know where to start and how to navigate that. So what, what are your thoughts on um, the, the steps that they can take? You've alluded to it's important to gain clarity on purpose. You've also spoken about the importance of governance. Um, what's, what's the starting point for them um, in this process? I think the first question is, what do we mean by family office? I mean, it can be loosely said. I mean, uh, it, as compared to my, my co- colleagues in the States, uh, where family office are very prevalent, I tend to feel more excuse their family more than family office. And even when we're talking about, you know, um, investments by, you know, family offices, we mean, you know, off the, ba- the balance sheet of the family business or fam- personal family wealth in a more organized fashion. Um, those who do create, you know, formal family offices, you know, it, 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 part of it starts with, you know, the, really, w- whether you're creating a single family office or, or being part of a, a multifamily office is often dictated by, by net worth. I mean, what, what assets are being allocated because, um, you know, it, to do a family, single family office properly, it's a million plus, probably two million. And to bring it all in-house and, and whether that makes sense. I mean, it's, there's a customized delivery of services, it's convenience. Um, but you know, there's also greater cost. I mean, it depends on what, what, what the priorities are of, of the family. Oftentimes confidentiality, um, is, is a key concern in creating this family office. Um, yes, they most are often or not are offshore. We tend in, on the African continent, we, we're seeing a lot in, in Europe, seeing, you know, through Mauritius or otherwise too. Um, and that can mean, um, bringing in house a chief investment office or someone who's going to dictate, uh, the strategy for the family or someone who, works with outside um, advisors and banks to, you know, who help select the products um, that for a, for a very you know, broad approach, um, um, you know, it really depends on what the family is seeking to accomplish. Um, I think um, a lot of um, these families, uh, when they bring the next generation in, those, you know, sons and daughters typically will have spent time in the financial services industry. 
um, you know, in the nuts and bolts of it there before coming back. Um, it's it's rare that you know that they just take over the helm without the that type of experience. But again, as my one of my partners always says, if you've seen one you know family office, you've seen one family office. There there are, you know it all depends on the specific needs of, of of the family. And now looking at um, some of the global trends in family office and uh, that are being led by next gens and also led by circumstances that have happened across the world, we're looking. Um, primarily just zoning in on the issue of multiple family offices as well as online servings where the family office space is now migrated to being more digital and there's being there's more access to more resources across digital platforms and um more and more families can mix and match the resources they actually want to use. And um, more of um, they create, they, they're taking the old model, which used to, you could have, you'd have to set up the office and bring everyone in and then hire specific people. And now moving it to more of an Uber or um, uh, Airbnb setup where you pick and choose the services and they do not have to be in-house. How do you think this is um, going to impact the industry of family offices? And how do you think um, <clears throat> next gens are leading this conversation? And is it really a conversation that is sustainable? Yeah, no, I, we're certainly seeing a trend towards uh, virtual family office. Actually, we have a product at Dentons that helps put these together. We um, hired last year um, the, the gentleman that created the practice at uh, family office practice at Citibank to run our global practice um, by the name of Eddie Marshall. Um, and he frequently counsels clients in creating this virtual family office because when you create a single family office initially, it's very much about hiring decisions and bringing people in, as you said, uh, not only is it an expensive proposition, it's one that you're going to have to live with uh, or, or, or replace people. It, it, it's, it's, you really have to be sure of getting the right team together. Whereas on a virtual family office type of situation, you can get, um, you know, more that sort of, not to the same degree, but a similar level of, of dedicated support with a customized group of advisors that are, you know, particular to your needs that may be not to- entirely dedicated to your needs. I mean, I think it starts blurring the line between that and a multifamily office, but I do think that um, the virtual uh, setting um, is is certainly g- going to continue, and it makes a lot more sense for uh, a next gen that's digitally native in terms of how they grow up and how they interact. Um, I mean, there were many people in my law firm who thought you have to have everyone down the hallway, and that's how it is. And now, you know, it, wow, what a difference a year makes. So, um, of course, you know, the, the pandemic is going to accelerate any type of digital interaction. And I don't think anyone from a lot of businesses need to be in the same place. And you can leverage the, the you know, the, the better cost structure and certainly the, the best in play, because now you can choose from the world as opposed to in your backyard. So I think there's a lot of reasons. I think uh, for the African continent, I think that is very beneficial too. You have your choice of anyone and everyone as opposed to having to try to create something, either moving everyone up and move to another country or trying to find the right advisors and resources on the ground wherever you are. So it, it, it's, a whole, it's a whole different world. I'm just thinking of the rising generation um, who typically desire speed, autonomy um, with financial decision-making and the use of tech in doing so, um, what are your thoughts in in terms of families or family offices using tech to engage the rising generation? Well, today, today has been the best day for tech uh, with on this. But generally speaking, I'm a firm believer in tech. I'm, I am a venture tech lawyer. Um, no, I no. Listen, 
I've, I've been um, spending the last few months looking at a variety of technology solutions uh, for families to help families um, not only consolidate, you know, their, their bookkeeping, their assets, um, and just helping promote, you know, uh, communication amongst the family members uh, in a confidential manner to, um, no, I mean, it, listen, there is no, there, there is no future in my office without technology. Uh, it's dramatically reducing cost and it's just more efficient. Um, and I've been astounded by the, the change, just the degree of platforms, the nature of the platforms that are around now compared to two years ago. Um, it, it's incredible. Um, and so anyone who's looking to do this will be setting it up much differently, their family office than someone would have five years ago. And that, again, that's why the next gen is well positioned for that with the right, you know, with the right guys and expertise. And um, also just looking at uh, just the, the, the idea of family office, as we know it, um, traditionally uh, family office is it's set up by those families that are in the net worth of 100 million and above. And it makes sense for them at, at that type of wealth to set up um, a family office that just manages their family and the family's needs. But now yeah. with, with tech, we've seen tech is a, is a huge disruptor across the board. Is it, are you seeing any developments towards family offices becoming, uh, being set up by families that are signif- worth significantly less than a hundred million? And what are the, um, the the price the, the the brackets of income or asset holding that these families have that are starting to look at family office as a vehicle, um, especially now that it's becoming more and more uh, within reach. Sure. Um. Yes. I mean, you're right. Usually, a hundred million plus for single family office. Uh, when you talk about a virtual family office, I mean, you know, I was saying it, you could be spending two million a year for a single family office. We Dentons, we could do it for two hundred thousand for a virtual family office, pulling that same team together. So, I mean, you're always comparing the, the cost to what you would spend with your wealth manager or with multifamily office. So, usually like forty basis points or so. Um, so once it, you know, it, 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 so if you can reduce that cost around two, two, three hundred thousand, you're talking a dramatically lower entry level for a family office. But again, it, it, you, you, you sort of have to focus on wh- why you need it and whether your existing wealth manager is, it, it, it doesn't provide the level of service you require. Typically, it's because these families, again, starting with what it, what's their purpose, they may have an uh, investment strategy that is very bespoke to, to, that, um, to that family, and therefore you need more dedicated help, and therefore a virtual offering as opposed to your private bank would be more appropriate, but certainly, but the level entry level, you can do 10 million plus, um, you know, you, you know, you could avail yourself of, of virtual services or certainly of, of a multifamily office type of, of situation. Great. Um, and you kind of spoke a little bit about philanthropy. Um, can you kind of um, expantiate on that, the role of that philanthropy can play in engaging the rising generation, maybe cases you've seen? No, sure. I mean, philanthropy is across the board. And, and again, you're starting to see a, a blurred line, you know, between, you know, sometimes philanthropy and, and, and impact type of investments. Um, I mean, the, the, the traditional route of philanthropy can be, you know, any number of notable causes. Um, but I think that um, a lot of the families we talked to are looking at sustainable investments uh, as opposed to grants. Um, but but they're also looking at me- ways to measure their the impact of the their philanthropical activities. Uh, I've seen a few companies that help people see what impact they're actually causing and we're creating. And I think that um, a lot of uh, you know philanthropic causes and and, and organizations 
are being hard pressed to demonstrate truly tangible impacts they're having. Uh, and it's, and it's, it's, it's professionalizing that part of it as well. Um, but I think, you know, it's, it's, it, it really varies from, from family to family. Um, and they're, you know, of what their, what the priorities are. Well, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. We'll have to wrap up our session now and prepare for our upcoming sessions at four o'clock. I'd like to just give you the opportunity to just share your final thoughts on our discussion and any pieces you think that next gens and founders really need to focus on, especially on the African continent, because it is all right now focused on the African continent. The future is focused on how we handle our families, our family businesses and our economies. And uh, family office is going to also become one of the leading conversation pieces in, in, in this space. No, uh, first of all, thank you for having me. And my, that's my last words um, applicable to the African content, but I think everywhere else too. Engaging and active listening, it really, truly is. Um, I, I think the heart of, of any family and really any family business is communication and, 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 and getting aligning interests really and understanding what motivates one another. Too often we make assumptions. And I think that open conversations early on about what motivates your next generation, your sons and daughters, uh, will help frame what their futures are and their fu- whether that futures in your organization, in your family business, or it's somewhere else. Um, either they're going to find a place with you or they won't. And you can have these conversations early and find out and carve a place for that next generation, whether, it, again, it's in the family business or there's, you know, whether it's family office, whether it's investing. But it's, it's really, you know, it's, to this generation more than any really in recent times, it, it, they have to feel that they're in a place that aligns with their values. And otherwise, you, you, I mean, again, I'm, you know, this is not my observation. This is the Deloitte survey. People will tend to bounce around through their careers and helping you know, set that anchor early on and keeping it within the family would be a, a gift to both the older generation and the younger generation. So with that. Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much, Chris, for joining us today. And um, thank you for everybody who sat through this session. The recording for it will be made available later on. Thank you all. Have a, have a great rest of the conference. <laughs>